just going to be me. So it is good to see you all. Um, I'm going to start with a story. Years ago, I had a chocolate lab. This is back in New York. And uh, one afternoon, I let him outside to kind of do his business and, and came back in and just, you know, figured I'd call him as was the often. That, that's kind of how it went. And uh, so I go to the door, and it had been a while. I kind of forgot about him. And I open the door, and like, Abraham, and no Abe. Abraham, Abraham, Abe, Abe. Oh, man, where is he? And I thought, okay, I better, I better go look, right? So I walk out and look at the pond, because we had a pond. And then my parents, I was at my parents, and my parents, they have 80 acres of fields and forest and deer and all that. So a lot of things to, to explore and smell and sniff, and he's a chocolate lab, and that's what they do. So I uh, keep calling. He keeps not coming. Well, now I've got a problem. Hi, Lois. I've got a problem, and so I start walking up the hill calling, and I walk, and I walk, and I call, and I call, and it's getting darker and darker, and I'm getting hoarser and hoarser and less hopeful, and now the, yeah, the stories are in my head, like, what's, what's going on with the dog? Why isn't he coming? And um, so, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I came back, and of course, I'm like, well, I make a flyer, and, uh, and, and I drive around and I kind of tack it up like you do, lost dog, and I put it at the intersections of, of our little area, town. We didn't really live in town, but anyway. So one day turned into two days. I'm still calling. I'm still looking. I'm still, turns into three days, still no Abe. And at this point, I'm like, he's, he's done. He's gone. If he was coming back, he'd come back. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll drive over. There's this little little gas station down the road around the corner and last-ditch effort. So I drive over there, you know, trying not to get any hopes up whatsoever, and I walk in. I said, you know, I, I, this is a long shot, but do you, has, has anybody come in and mentioned that they've seen a, a dog, a, a missing dog, or a loose dog, chocolate lab? And the lady's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The lady left her number. I'm like, what? Left her number? So I grab it, and I run outside, and I'm like, you know, still, I don't want to get my hopes up, because that's how I am. And uh, so I call, and I'm like, hi, uh, uh, my name's Wes, and I have a chocolate lab, and I've, I've been missing him for three days. He's got a green collar, and, and I'm just like waiting, and, and she, yeah, he's here. What? You, you have him. Wait, where, where is he? Like, I'm, so he's, you know, I'm, I'm like... And so she gives me directions to her house, which is the exact opposite. That bugger crossed the road, and, and I don't know, he got like two miles to their house. So I'm like, okay, I'll be, I'll be right there. Boom. You know, pull in, get out of the car. And she greets me, and I'm like, so he's here, and then I'm like, Abe, and then here comes the bugger. So I get my hands ready to strangle him, <laughs> and he stinks, and he's like as happy as a clam, and, um, and so I get my, my dog back, and I find out that uh, he'd been there for three days. 
He wasn't lost, but of course, in my mind, what did I do? I had him in a ditch somewhere. I had him dead. Uh, I had coyotes after him. I, I had all sorts of like Sasquatch, whatever, something, somebody stole him. Um, and so I'm out there trying to rescue him. I'm out there trying to save him, trying to find him. I'm searching him out. And, uh, and what I didn't realize is, is he had had three days of salvation. That bugger was, was playing with these people's kids. They were building a house and they showed up and they were there for three straight days. Somehow he gets there. He finds a reservoir. He finds little kids. What dog doesn't want to play with little kids in the water? And that bugger was on vacation while my heart was breaking somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, was a good, it was a good ending. It was a happy ending to my terrible, terrible story. Here I thought I was going to provide salvation. And uh, I don't even think Abe knew that he was lost or ever needed it. So we got rid of that dog. I want dependent dogs, dogs that need. No, I'm just kidding. Well, our text this morning is uh, in 1 Peter, so you can open up. We're going to be in 1 Peter and Matthew 19 if you want to open up and, you know, like stick your fingers in there and kind of flip back and forth. Um, we're in 1 Peter, and I'm just going to start reading. How's that? Oh, there's not Abe. I didn't have a picture to share. All right, here we go. To God's elect, strangers in the world, some, some say exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance." Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Well, to put this into context, Peter was probably writing this letter to fellow believers, to the church, about praising God for His mercy, and he was writing it most likely from his prison cell, awaiting his death sentence. He's writing to encourage them to keep their eyes on the prize of salvation, even as they're suffering various trials and um, persecution of their faith. It's important to notice that Peter calls them strangers in the world, exiles. Peter makes the point that followers of Jesus don't fit well into this world. God's upside-down way of the kingdom often rails against some of the broken systems that we run into here. And then in verse 10, he says, concerning this salvation, concerning this salvation, in the Greek, the word salvation means deliverance or rescue. I wanted to rescue my dog from the clutches of certain death. Rescue. Salvation for these believers would mean an end of what? An end of persecution, right? An end of oppressive overrule. For Peter, who's in jail, awaiting his death sentence, what would rescue, what would salvation be for him? Well, obviously, it'd be to, I don't know, get out of prison, right? That would be salvation. But in the case of this letter, we've got a, we've got a, it's interesting, we've got a teenager. Raise your hand if you're a teenager. Raise your hand, keep your hand raised if you were an evil dictator. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple in my house. Yeah, I see, I agree, I agree. I see those hands. Yeah, well, Nero's a teenage evil dictator, and he only cares about his kingdom. He wants to expand the Roman reach. And so he sees the church as a threat because it doesn't accept his evil values. It doesn't bow to him and go along with everything he wants. Well, Peter here seems quite fascinated with this idea of salvation as he writes in his prison cell. But he also points out that it's not just Peter that's having this conversation. He, he's reminding that the church and the prophets themselves have been looking for the Messiah, been looking for salvation for thousands of years. We're all searching and preaching. They, they were all searching and preaching salvation. And then at the end of verse 12, we see that who else was longing and looking into the things that, per, that pertain to salvation? You got that one? The what? The angels. Even the angels are, are waiting and longing for salvation. So from the beginning of time until right now and this afternoon and the rest of time, human beings will be, have been looking to be saved, looking to be rescued from, from sin, from trials, from temptations, from all of that stuff. And as I thought about salvation, I thought there, there, are three, uh, there are three reactions, I think, that church people have when we talk salvation, right? And uh, let's see if my little, uh, there's the question, my transition's working, there we go. 
I don't have any heads that are going to pop up like Todd. Sorry. What are the top three reactions? And I, so, so some people get really excited, right? We get excited about salvation. In verses 3 and 4 and 5 of 1 Peter, what does he talk about? He talks about new birth, right? We get excited about babies when they show up. They're so cute. You want to pinch the little dimples? Not pinch their dimples. Dimples are a hole. You can't really pinch it, right? Your cheeks, thank you. Oh, don't do that. Right? So we get excited about new birth, but this spiritual new birth, we get excited, we put all this effort into t- teaching our children about Christ, and then what do they do? They say a prayer, and their intent is to follow after Jesus, and we're excited. Yes, they, they're getting it. And then we try and, right? And, and we think about resurrection, they get baptized, we get baptized, and so there are things that we get excited about. Well, then another reaction might be that that some people can get really nervous. Some people have, have had some toxic religious background. Some people have had some uh, overly oppressive, uh, wrong-headed narratives about God and fear's been brought in and shame and, and hey, little Wessie, you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? What do you think? I guess I'm going to pray, Right? So you think about maybe maybe there's some bad understandings of salvation. They've been shoehorned. And then I think there's another one. I think some people get really bored. Take it for granted, right? Like salvation doesn't mean a whole lot. There's this big amp up and then there's a prayer and then it's like, eh. and then, oh, they died, but they went to heaven. Oh, praise be to God. But in the meantime, there, there, there can be kind of lull, kind of, right? You live your life, got that salvation card. And, and of course, I share that for effect. But my point is we can, we can hear the word salvation, and, and sometimes it's easier to gloss over it the more, the more uh, months and years that go by. It can become like that. And so, um, yeah. So for many people, especially those outside of the church even, hearing this salvation message about some other time, some other place far beyond this world can be kind of difficult to understand or even connect with. Like, okay, well, I got to deal with reality right now, so I, I guess we'll get to that, right? But here Peter seems to be explaining that salvation is so much bigger than the story that many, many of us were told growing up, right? The Scriptures are talking about the future, but Peter is kind of hammering down here on the idea of deliverance um, of human beings in this fallen world and how it kind of begins to work itself out in the present, right? The kingdom is here, and Peter is kind of hammering that down. Salvation starts with the recognition that I need new birth, that I need to put to death my old self and become alive to Christ as a little baby and then grow up spiritually into an adult, right? And so, ask this question. Wait a minute. I don't think I put it. Here's the question. What do you need salvation from right now? Hold that. What trials, what things are going on in your life? 
What do you need salvation from right now? Well, I think Peter is pointing straight to our need to be set free from from sin, our need to draw near to Jesus. He's talking to people and say, hey, these trials, well, there's some purpose here, right? There's suffering and trials, in, in particularly in verse six and, 6 and 7, and God allows these things as training ground for our faith. They're training ground. They're purposeful. God's sovereignty is all around those things, and He wants to use those trials to change us, to grow us up. Because the primary goal of salvation isn't just the removal of difficulty. I'm just going to endure it and then get rid of it. Like, oh, finally. No, God wants to be with us through it and, uh, and soften our heart and we get through it. And like, uh, And then we look back and like, oh, I've taken some steps. I've grown up. That's part of the process of the trials and the sufferings. Right? This, this radical uh, transformation of our unchristlike character, kind of incrementally moving to more and more Christ-like behavior. When my back was broken a number of months ago, guess what I wanted? Sal- what? A not broken back. Yeah, in order to be that, I wanted salvation from my broken back. I wanted salvation. But in the midst of that pain and waiting, God was working on me, right? I could choose to be bitter and angry, and um, but that really wasn't going to fix my back, and it wasn't going to fix my spirit, and it wasn't going to fix anybody else around me. Um, but God was at work, and, and maybe I don't even recognize just yet all, all that He is trying to teach me. But you see, God is shaping us and inviting us to salvation. He is inviting us to be saved, to be incrementally transformed from that false self that wants to justify itself and be right and and all of those negative humanistic things that we are born into the world with, right? And He wants to change our character so that we look more and more like Jesus. That is salvation. Save from being a jerk, save from being an unforgiving jerk, save from being a whatever, right? Um, I want that to change. And it isn't just to get us somewhere when we die. That's what's, I mean, yes, that's part of it too, but rather it's to become over time that unique, gifted follower of Jesus that He intended for you when He knit you together in your mother's womb, and then He said, be born like, there are intents, there are intentions that our Father has for us, and He wants us to grow up, and He wants us to bless the world, but there's stuff we need to be saved from inside of us, brokenness, sin. Growing up, I absorbed an understanding of, of kind of end times, that when Jesus returns, He's going to get us out of here, and this whole place is going to blow up. I just kind of passively receive that. I think over time I started thinking, huh? It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but the church I grew up in, we, didn't, we weren't one of those churches that really hammered down on that and really had to have a position on that. Oh, are you pre-trib or post-trib or all that? What? I didn't pick up any of that until I got to Liberty and people were fighting about it. So, 
Anyway, I don't really believe that anymore, and I'm, I'm going to try and talk about that a little bit. I don't think that eternity is going to be spent somewhere on a cloud in a galaxy far, far away. I actually believe it's going to be here on earth, that God's going to return. He's going to make His home with us again. Emmanuel, God with us again. When I first heard this different kind of reading or interpretation of Revelation, it kind of blew my mind, and I'm still trying to like, what? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to help here a little bit. I found this swell picture of our teenage dictator. It doesn't even look like you, Micah Perry. <laughs> oh, well, back in 356 A.D., can, well, you see it. Right? So, on the left side, you've got the triumphal entry of Emperor Const- Constantius. And on the, on the right side, I, I kind of found a picture of, of Jesus. You know, on the left, they show up in pomp and circumstance. And what do you see around them? The army and, and all of that. And on the right side, Jesus shows up on this, uh, this little donkey. You see his army around? Where's his army? Oh, you can't see it from this picture. I'm sure it's there. Wink, wink. Right? Jesus' triumphal entry as king rides in on a donkey. It's awesome. But what it ha- so, so understanding a context here helps me to understand. See, the New Testament was written to people who lived at that time, right? Peter didn't write to us. In our understanding of, of America in 2021, he wrote to his context, his time. So if we were to transport back to Rome, we'd learn that a Roman emperor would come to town, and what would happen is the people would, would know about it. I don't know, Pony Express, I don't know how they did it. But then they would go out and they would meet the emperor way out yonder, right? Outside the city gates, outside the town, and they would walk out there and they would greet him and they would walk back and welcome him back into the town, back through the gates. And, and, and this welcome was like saying, Emperor, this town belongs to you. It's part of your kingdom and we welcome you to your space that you let us live in. You take care of us. We welcome you because we recognize that you are the true ruler of our town, of our city right? And so, given this understanding, we interpret that when the Scriptures say that we will see Jesus and greet Him in the clouds, it means, I think it means that Jesus is going to return. We're going to greet Him. We're going to welcome Him home. We're going to welcome Him back to earth. We're going to welcome Him back to His rightful, as, as the rightful King of creation. And, and, right? and so, Jesus is going to bring His rule He's going to bring His heavenly rule, and He's going to install that rule forever. And it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to clean up the mess we find ourselves in. Um, I use my art skills. Oh, man. Hey, that's where that went. That was supposed to be before, so we're going to skip this one. Here we go. My goodness. So, we want to understand more fully that salvation isn't for just some other time, some other place. It's for us here and now. It's about the renewal of our minds. 
It's about submitting ourselves to Jesus and learning to trust Him instead of spending our time and our life trying to be our own Savior, finding, oh, i got to find this thing that's going to save me, this job that's going to save me, this paycheck or this, this position or that person or that per- right? So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's, that's what kind of goes on in my mind. Like in the kingdom of, kingdom of God and in heaven, the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is being done. And you see that, that overlap with the kingdom of man or earth. And, and so that's us, right? That's what we're called to be. We're called to be bringing and living into the kingdom. We're to bring and live God's principles in the world, right? That's what we're doing. It's where the Lord's will is being done on earth as it's being done in heaven. We, right? I think Kaylee prayed that. Dave was teaching on that a couple weeks ago. That's what we're praying for. The, God, you would use us to expand that, expand our hearts, our understanding of that. And then, of course, we've got earth, the kingdom of man, where man's self-serving will is being done, right? We want less and less of that. We want to see, we want to see that overtaken. So I'm going to, um, we're going to look at, I'm going to leave this up. We're not going to read it, but I want to think about salvation through a gospel story. This is in Matthew 19, and Jesus um, has this real-life encounter with the rich young ruler, right? This guy has resource, he's comfortable, he's financially stable, he's got a, he's got a three-year-old car that never breaks down, right? He's, he's, like, he's got things going on. Um, he's got some control from a worldly standpoint. Um, you know, he probably looks a lot like us. You know, you think, like, Americans are pretty rich compared to the rest of the world, so he probably doesn't look too, too dissimilar to us. Um, well, the sense we're left with in this interaction that Jesus has is the rich young ruler, he just kind of has it together. He's doing all right for himself, right? He's been doing the right things. He's going to church. He's tithing. He's keeping the commandments. He's providing for his family, right? But then he runs into Jesus, and it seems that he has to ask him a question. He asks him, how can I guarantee my salvation? Which seems like, to me, it seems kind of an odd question because it reveals something. It reveals that his spirit really isn't at peace here. That despite all this stuff that he's, that he's got, that he's holding on to, not at peace. He's got power and control, things... Right, things are happening that he wants, and, and yet he's still missing something in his spirit. And the thing he's holding on to, right, these things aren't providing salvation. They're not providing salvation. He doesn't have the grace and peace and abundance that Peter was praying about in the previous passage. Now watch how Jesus replies to him. He says, if you f- want to be saved... You need to sell what you have. These things that you think are saving you are going to rescue you. You need to sell them. You need to give them away, and you need to come follow me. Well, I don't think that's exactly what the rich young ruler was thinking, right? I think he was, I think he was hoping for maybe, maybe like a, maybe a quick transaction. Like, hey, Jesus, what do we need? To do? I mean, I'll slip you a couple of shekels, couple of bucks, uh, I don't know, I'll serve the soup kitchen, will that kind of like tip me over? What? Right? I think that's probably what he was kind of looking for. But Jesus hits him with, 
If you want to be saved, sell all your stuff. Quit your job, drop your power, drop your position, give it up, and come learn about salvation by following me around. I'll be your rabbi, but you got to follow me. And we know how he responds, right? And he walks away. The rich young ruler wanted to guarantee his spot in heaven, but Jesus pointed out things that were keeping him from salvation. Good things even. And when Jesus says, drop them, the young ruler walks away. He refuses to trust Jesus and instead holds on to those idols. Oh, maybe things will turn around. Ooh, I can't. This, I like this power. Ooh, I like this. I like the comfort this, this stuff brings me. I like the prestige. I like that people look at me and they think, hey, look, a rich young ruler. Ooh, that strikes my... So he's holding on to these things and refuses to let them go. He still has too much hope in them. And now he walks away really banking on the fact that Jesus is wrong about all this. Now these things will save me. I was like, how do I come up with a, a, an illustration that might help with that? And, and I thought, Ambien, right? I know, that's what you were thinking, right? You can't sleep, uh, you, you got some problems, and so um, you take Ambien for your sleeping problems, right? Because you want to sleep. Who doesn't want to sleep? We all want to sleep, right? Well, Long-term effects of Ambien use, anxiety, confusion, suicidal thoughts, nightmares, family problems. I need somebody that can read really fast, like in the commercials, right? Family problems, drowsiness, dizziness, depression. Take Ambien, you can have this, a lack of muscle control, hallucinations, insomnia, reoccurrent headaches. Can I get an amen? Muscle pain, dry mouth, dependency, persistent fatigue, and digestive difficulties. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to go ahead and not sleep. In this story with the rich young ruler, we see that Jesus is actively opposed to anything and anyone that claims to be able to save or rescue our souls apart from him. Ambien it's not going to save you. It's going to make your life probably a lot worse, actually. Doesn't look good, right? And that's what Jesus, I think, is trying to help him understand. All these things that you think you have a hold of that are going to save you and rescue you and make your life better, they aren't. You're still empty. Remember earlier, Peter was saying that grace is coming your way. For the rich young ruler, Jesus offered him grace, but he refused to put down his idols. He refused to put down his sin and and even refused to put down the good things to receive his salvation. And the question I think for us this morning, as grace comes to you and I this morning, that question is, what do you need salvation from? What do you need to put down in order to receive Jesus' offer of salvation? 
Do you need to put down anger over hurt and disappointment? Do you need to put down resentment and bitterness over something you've lost these past couple years? Last couple years have revealed a lot of stuff. Friends, I don't need to tell you, it's been hard. Some of the hardest years of my life. Maybe you need to put down idealistic expectations. Show some grace to yourself, to others. Maybe you need to break off an immoral relationship. Maybe you need to get rid of your data plan on your phone, leading you to a wrong place. Maybe you need to quit reading certain things that leave your heart twisted up, making you enemies, tearing up your peace. Maybe you need to put down your fear and anxiety. Figure out what's causing it. What's going on on the inside rather than trying to control and blame. Maybe you need to put down unforgiveness and grudges. Go make things right. Put down assumptions and offenses. Maybe you need to let yourself off the hook. Maybe you look at yourself and like, shame, I should be further along. I should trust you more, Lord. I shouldn't be angry. I should be able to just release and forgive, and I should, I should live this unoffendable way that you intend for me, but I, ugh, and you're just beating yourself up over it. A year or so ago, uh, someone kind of abruptly uh, cut off relationship from our church. And I didn't exactly get the whole story as to why, um, but kind of laid down a, a pretty, pretty obvious boundary. Uh, removal, I don't want to talk to anybody, right? Don't want any more emails. And for months I thought about them, prayed, I grieved, I lamented, like, what? What, was, what happened? And I remember, right, I remember our beautiful visits. I lamented over not having any more of those. And, and one day, in spite of that boundary that this person laid down, I, um, I decided I was going to risk it. It had been quite a while, and, and so I wrote a note. I put it in a card, and, and I sent it, and I, I said, I, I miss you, and I, I miss our times, and, and I wish that we could... I wish we could have those again. And I sent it in the mail, and I didn't really have much for expectation. A couple days later, I look at my phone, and I had missed a call, and there was a voicemail, and I look, and it's this person. Well, it could go one of two ways, right? But there's a voicemail, and so I hit the old listen button and kind of like, uh, put, my, uh, put my ear up there and kind of, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Was I going to get a reminder of that hard and fast line? I, I don't want to talk to you and I'm done with those people and <laughs> whatever. And it wasn't quite like that. But what I was greeted with was this tender voice and grace. Grace, I think grace came to them I think grace came to me and said, it's time. And thankfully, 
I caught it, and I sent that. And I think grace was received in the mail. And I think grace was read the way I wanted it to be and, and, and sunk down into the soul. <laughs> and so, um, as a response to that, we got together. I called them back, and, and we got together. I don't know, it was two or three hours and we just caught up, we laughed, we cried a little bit, we, uh, we undid some narratives, some, some stories, that, some assumptions that, that had been put together. Because that's what happens when there's a lack of communication, right? And you're hurt, you take that hurt and you just assume bad things. Well, as we talked, that isn't, that isn't true at all. But that makes sense why you did this. And so we were able to undo a whole lot of that. We told stories. We laughed. And then at the end of our time before I left, we enjoyed communion together. It was beautiful. My heart was full. Friends, for months I wanted salvation from that broken relationship that I didn't understand. Grace came to me. And the Spirit set us free, set me free, set this person free. And so I ask you this morning as I ask myself these two questions. What do you need salvation from? What do you need to put down? What do you need to release? Who do you need to let off the hook? Maybe that's somebody else. Maybe that's yourself. Grace is coming. It's coming for you. He's coming for me. As our worship team comes, I'm going to pray. Ran into a helpful uh, prayer from Henry Nowen. It really kind of fits our, uh, our situation. Let's pray. Lord, in the midst of all my satisfactions and disappointments, I hope in You, even when it seems that things are not going my way, I know that they are going Your way, and that in the end, Your way is the best way for me. Jesus, we thank You for Peter's words. We thank You for this interchange that, that we read about that You had with a rich young ruler this morning. We ask that You would send Your grace to us and that we might be able to receive it as a gentle invitation to salvation. You are the only one, the only one that can save us. Would you please give us eyes to see what we need to lay down and the courage we need to let go of it. Put our trust back in you. It's in your son's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.